following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Amen. Thank you. Good to see you this morning. Merry Christmas to you. Wonderful to see the children parading and singing a little bit. And I'm looking forward to tonight as well. Remember, 6 o'clock for the candlelight uh, Christmas service as the children will be singing, the choir and others. Um, I'll bring a devotion. And my wife has a gift of writing poetry, and she's going to read a poem to us tonight. So I'm glad she can stand up here with me tonight. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, a good Christmas verse that we normally bring out every year, but it's a powerful verse as well. About four years ago, I remember going into uh, Chick-fil-A. I had a little person with me, and uh, she loved to play on the uh, playground there. And uh, we walked in, and I heard that little voice say, Hey, my name is Nora. What's yours? You want to play? And so for the next half hour, they played together. And that wasn't just the first time she did that. Every time that we took her somewhere and she met another child, it was, hey, my name is Nora. What's your name? And that was our little granddaughter. She's six now. But names are important, don't you think? What do we do without our name? What would you call each other? What would, would you call each other? Because names are important because once you pick out a name for a child, that child will bear that name the rest of his or or her life. Babies, they have no voice in choosing their names, do they? They have to live with the names that we give with them, to live with with those names, to to live them up or to live them down. Either way, uh, it depends on how they live their lives. Names are important because we tend to become what what our name represents. Every so often, you'll run across somebody with, a, with multiple names, such as Charles, Philip, George, Windsor. Anybody know who that is? Prince Charles, there you go. And uh, you may say, that's a heavy load to bear, four names like that. But remember, he's royalty. And I guess royalty needs a few more names than you and I do. Did you know that God has names in the Old Testament? And we're not going to dwell on that long because he's got so many names. But let me give to you five or six of them, okay? And every name that I mentioned to you, every name of God in the Old Testament, it represents a different attribute that he has. Listen to this. El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty. Has he ever been mighty in your life? Jehovah Ra, Rapha. God, our healer, has he ever performed healing in your life or a life of a loved one through your prayers? Jehovah Ra, God, our shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Has he provided for you? Jehovah Nisi, God, our banner or God, our victory. Has he ever granted you victory in some area of your life? And then Jehovah Shalom, God our peace. Has he ever given peace to your heart? Maybe there was a storm in your life and you could hear peace be still. 
It's the same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Even before he was born, before his birth, a child, he was a child with many names. And the prophet Isaiah, he wrote 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born. He prophesied that he, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would have multiple names. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child has been born to us, a son has been given to us, and he will shoulder responsibility, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And all four of those names represent an attribute of him, of not only who he is, but what he brings and what he does and what he will do. We are told that and his name shall be called. And when it speaks here of the name, of his name, it's really not speaking of a literal name because we don't read in the New Testament where anybody called him Wonderful Counselor or Mighty God or Prince of Peace, okay? But it's rather, it speaks of the essence of his character and of his nature. And so we don't really see four individual names, but rather the fourfold name of one mighty king that was to come and has come, just like a lot of the Old Testament names of God. So let's look at the first one here. It's a combination of two words. It's not two separate words, wonderful counselor. Some versions say wonderful advisor. We'll look at that in a moment, okay? In the original language, Hebrew, this is best seen not as two names, but one affirmation of his deity, one affirmation of his character here. Really, literally, he's called Wonder Counselor. He's being described as a counselor or a divisor who is an absolute marvel and a wonder through and through. Think of the ways that the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated that ability here about himself while he was here on earth. There were those who opposed him. You just read the Gospels and you'll learn who they are. And they were constantly trying to trick him up, to trap him, to get him in some kind of bind where they could accuse him and bring him before the authorities and he would be punished, maybe even put to death, which eventually he was. Those who opposed him would come up to him asking such questions as, uh, Lord Jesus, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not, to the Roman Empire or not? And the Lord Jesus said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give unto God what is God's. They brought a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. I think it was a trap. They brought her, the Old Testament law said such a person need to be stoned. And they said, what do you think we ought to do, Jesus? And the Bible says he stooped and wrote in the ground. We don't know what he wrote. And then he said, any of you who is without sin, you cast the first stone. And you know what happened? They all turned around and walked away because they had sinned too. And the people that heard him say these kind of things, the Bible says, they asked, where did this man get such wisdom? And they were amazed at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. If you're saved, you're going to hear his voice one day. And it will be a wonder as we stand before him. 
He was in the days of his first coming a wonder of a counselor. And that's the type of king that he's going to be over all the world when he returns one day at his second coming. He won't need a cabinet. He won't need advisors. He won't need a staff. He won't need counselors because he alone will rule the world with perfect wisdom. He will be a wonder counselor. There will be no other one like him. He will answer all the questions. He will solve all the problems, and he will show humanity at last how we are to live. Again, this name means he's a wonder of a counselor. It speaks of his wisdom and the wisdom of his will and the wisdom of his plan for each and every one of of us. The word wonderful actually means astonishing. That's a good name for him, isn't it? Or extraordinary. The writers of the Old Testament used it for acts of God which no one could understand. And the word counselor means advisor or the ideal ruler. But personally, for you and I, this name, wonderful counselor, wonder counselor, he's reliable. He's a reliable counselor for us. Those who come to him will never be led astray. The Bible says all that he do is good and it's perfect and it's pleasing. Have you found that to be true? Some people make their living giving advice to others. You can go to them, and usually you're going to spend anywhere from $150 to $350 an hour with some of them, okay? These counselors, these psychologists and all. And we need them sometimes. Much of the counsel they give is good. Some maybe not so good. The Lord goes to no one for advice, however. And when anyone comes to him, he gives them the counsel that they need. Therefore, he is absolutely the perfect teacher and the ultimate counselor for you and I. This gives us insight into his working because the Bible says also in Isaiah that his plans are not our plans. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We cannot fathom them. He would do the greatest work ever accomplished, and he will do it successfully every time. Even a violent death of crucifixion on a cross would not be man's way to victory, but it was God's plan, and our Lord carried it out perfectly. So let me apply the truth of his name this way, all right? As the wonderful counselor, he gives wholesome direction to his people. And those who follow him, as John chapter 1 says, you won't walk in the darkness, in the spiritual darkness, because the light is coming to your life, and he lights the way that you should go. And in this tiny baby, we see all the wisdom of God wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. It's a song we sing at Christmas called, What Child Is This?, And I ask that now, what child is this? He's the wonderful counselor. But then Isaiah goes on to prophesy that this babe, this baby, will also be called mighty God. That's sort of a contradiction, isn't it? Because a newborn baby is anything but mighty. Of course, you may disagree with that if you're a new parent sometimes too, right? He sort of rules the roost. 
But this speaks of the power of accomplishment, okay? It is, first of all, listen, a statement of deity, a statement of deity. For the baby born in the manger is not just the Son of God. He is God the Son. All the fullness of God dwells in the Lord Jesus Christ. The ancient creeds, they declare this, that Jesus is very God, a very God. And that can never be said of anybody else or anything else. There's something important about this title. The word translated mighty means strong one or the powerful, valiant warrior. Thus, the the term mighty God, it's actually a military term, believe it or not. He is the God, I like this, he is the God who fights for his people. Man, I'm glad he's on our side, aren't you? Are you? All right. Mercy, I begin to wonder. At his birth, God took on human flesh. We know that. That's why one of his names is Emmanuel, God with us. But now take the first two names that we've looked at today, okay? Wonder, Counselor, the Mighty God. As a wonderful Counselor, he'll make the plans. As the Mighty God, he'll make the plans work. And all of his wonderful plans will be carried out with all of God's infinite power. There is in this little baby all the strength of deity. The power of God is in those tiny little fists. He has the strength which is divine. The omnipotence, the almighty power of God is at his command. When he was grown, he could just say, Peace be still on the raging sea. was as smooth as a piece of glass. He could raise Lazarus from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. Whatever he desires, he's able to do and to achieve. I apply it this way. When we meet Jesus one day, guess who we're really going to meet? We're going to meet God himself. If he is not the mighty God, then like Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, when he's speaking of the resurrection, if Christ had not been resurrected, if, God, if Christ is not God, then we're deceived and it's blasphemy to worship him. There's no middle ground here, folks. If he is not God, we're fools to worship him. If he is not God, or if he is God, then we're fools not to worship him. If Jesus is but a man, then all we do at Christmas is really in vain. At this point, it is important that we not give in to all the nonsense that makes Christmas a a feel-good kind of ecumenical holiday, okay? Christmas is the great dividing line of the human race. No wonder that some people, they cringe at the mention of Christmas, and they want that name erased from all public life and even in in schools. They understand that Christmas is, is based on the belief that at Bethlehem, that tiny little Israeli village, the God incarnate was born. And if that's not true, then we're not only wasting our time this morning, 
We are actually deluded and deceived. And we are, of all the people, the most pitied. But he is the mighty God. And when we rely on him, we're relying on God himself. He is the mighty God because I don't know about you, but I need divine help from time to time. We're fighting a battle here, spiritual battle. Satan and sin would defeat us each and every day, but he's the mighty God and he has defeated them. A powerful verse is in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. For this reason, for this purpose, the Son of God was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. And he did that at the cross and in the empty grave. Third name, everlasting father. In the Hebrew, the phrase literally is the father of eternity. And this speaks also of the purpose of his coming. Because literally he is described as eternal father. And this is not just speaking of God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. Rather, the word father being used here is a name that is given to Jesus that describes the role that he will fulfill over humanity. What do you think of when you hear the word father? What words come to your mind, huh? I believe it describes to me as someone who is a protector. Someone who is a provider. It describes to me someone, a good father, someone who's tender with his children. Someone who teaches his children and leads his family and nurtures them and gives them all what they need. Even Paul described, uh, used this figure as a way of describing his own ministry toward the Thessalonians. He told them, as you know, when I was there, We treated each and every one of you as a father treats his own children. Listen to this. This is the kind of king that Jesus will be to his people. We're told in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, for this reason they, the believers, the saved, those who came to Jesus in faith and in repentance, For this reason, one day they will be before the throne of God. They will serve him day and night in his temple in heaven. And the one seated on the throne will shelter them. And they will never go hungry or be thirsty again. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any burning heat. Because a lamb, the lamb that was slain, and yet lives, Jesus Christ is in the middle of the throne. He will shepherd them and lead them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from from their eyes. What's more, he will do this forever and ever and ever. We will never be without the need of such loving fatherly care, and in this glorious king, we will have an everlasting and eternal father. He is before and above and beyond time. He is the possessor of eternity. He is eternally like a father to his people. And all that a good father is, the Lord Jesus Christ is and will be to his people. And because he's like a father, he cares for his people. Because he owns eternity, it's in his hand, 
He can give to you and I eternal life. And that's so important for those of us who live in this sin-cursed world. No one lives forever. Sooner or later, we will all stand and we'll all find our place in a cemetery. We are not immortal. We're transitory. We're here today, gone tomorrow. A dead Christ would do us no good. Dying men, dying women, we need a living, eternal, undying Christ. Now, here's a key phrase. He's a father forever. You know, that's important to me because I had a father, but he wasn't a forever father. He died. He's gone now. He was a good man, but he wasn't a father forever. I'm a father to, to David and Kara Lee, but I'm not a father forever. I will one day pass away. All human fathers must go, but Jesus is a father forever. He is just what we need. Would you say amen to that? When my children need anything, even today when they're grown in their 30s and they have their own children, I run to help them if they are in need. If they want me, I'll come to them. I will never, ever ignore them. They belong to me. They're my kids. And what I am in a poor way to them, Jesus is, a perf is in a perfect way to all who believe in him. In this tiny baby, we see the love of God sleeping in a, in a manger. What child is this? He's the everlasting and eternal father. The last name. Prince of Peace. That name literally means the priest, prince of whose coming brings peace. That speaks of the effect of his coming, of his entrance in his life in this world. The final title is the climax of all that has gone before. The word prince means something like general of the army, the commanding general, okay? It speaks of his high and exalted position. The word peace speaks of his basic nature. When I think of the context of this morning's passage, I think too of our own time. Would you say the world is wrapped up in peace? Do you, can you name a people or a country a state, a city, a county that has peace, perfect peace. We live in uncertain and frightening times. We live in a time when our own nation is threatened. There's military threats. There's cyber threats. There's terrorism. There's all kind of stuff going on. And even when you listen to the local news, somebody's been shot. Somebody's been murdered. Somebody has lost their life in a violent way every day. It's a reminder that we have not yet learned how to bring about that peace that we all long for. Look back over the 6,000 years of recorded history. It's a story of one kingdom and one people group and one nation warring against others, of, of borders being crossed and lands being conquered over and over and over again. And all of it serves as, as, as evidence that we can't govern that. We can't have peace. We can't bring peace. But the fact is, we were never meant to. Even we who live in the most politically free land in the world, we're unable to rule ourselves. Even we, Americans, 
We're in need of a king. A king with a capital K. We human beings were made to be ruled over by someone greater than ourselves. And the passage that we're reading this morning tells us that. It tells us that on Christmas morning, we celebrate the one who is king of this world and of this universe. Isaiah 9, 6 tells us that God's plan for world peace is focused on one person. And that was the baby in a manger in Bethlehem. He is the ultimate man of peace. In the past, his coming made peace with God through the cross and the empty tomb. In the present, those who come to him in faith and belief will find peace in their hearts when Christ will enter into their lives. And in the future, in his second coming, he will usher in a kingdom of peace on this world. God's ultimate plan for peace rests not in treaties or or lessons or progress or material prosperity. God's plan for peace is the maker of peace, Jesus Christ. One writer put it this way, the methods of Christ are methods of peace. The people of Christ are people of peace. The kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of peace. The principles of Christ are principles of peace. To know him is to know blessing and happiness and peace. To live without him is to be ultimately restless and miserable and empty. He's no greedy conqueror or empire builder. He came to bring peace. He did, he does, and he will. And in this baby, we see the peace of God welcomed by angels and shepherds. What child is this? He is the Prince of Peace. So, if you're confused, he's the wonderful counselor. If you're weak, he is the mighty God. If you are afraid, he is the everlasting father. And if you're disturbed, he is the prince of peace. For unto us, story is told. It could be told for hundreds of these little babies during the Vietnam years following the war. No the lamb was her name. Undeservedly, it was pronounced naughty lamb. She was a very little small girl, teeny little thing. And during the Vietnam War, she was left abandoned outside one of the crowded orphanages in the Mekong Delta. But by a miracle of God, a captain in the Air Force, Robert Peck, saw naughty lamb, and he was touched by her. And he wrote to his wife, Phyllis, back in the United States, and together they decided that they would adopt Naughty Lamb. They would bring her home to America and raise her as their daughter. The decision to adopt her was easy, but man, the bureaucratic process, it was a nightmare. And finally, 13 months later, Naughty Lamb was heading to the United States, held in the arms of an American journalist by the name of Bob Considine, and he was the one who wrote about her. Naughty Lamb was just a quiet little doll with luminous dark eyes. And as she came on board the plane, she didn't make a sound. But she stared at everything and everyone during the flight. And her presence stole the heart of everyone on board the plane. 
An hour into the flight, Bob began playing a name that a game that Naughty Lamb liked, and she would pull a little light blanket over her face and then reach out from underneath the blanket to expose the little finger on her left hand. And Bob would take the finger and kiss it and pull back the blanket and find Naughty Lamb smiling ever so happily. But one time when they were playing it, he pulled back the, la- the blanket and Naughty Lamb wasn't smiling. She was silently weeping and large tears were coming down her cheeks. And Bob didn't know what to do. He didn't have kids. So he rang for the stewardess and when the stewardess came, he said, what's wrong with this little girl? What's wrong with Naughty Lamb? Why is she crying but not making a sound? And the stewardess said, I've seen this before with these kids, these kids that were orphans because of the war. And the reason they don't make a sound when they cry is because they learned a long time ago that nobody will come. And Bob picked Naughty Lamb up and held her close to his cheek, and they cried together. Friends, Jesus Christ is the king of this world, the king that this world so desperately needs. And we celebrate today not only the fact that he was born, but also the promise that he will reign. He came. He came. And he came for me, and he came for you. And the most important part of our verse is the first three words we read this morning. For unto us, us, the gift of Christ is a personal gift, a personal gift to each and every one of us here this morning, but a gift requires a response, and if I put a gift under your tree for this Saturday, you may acknowledge it, you may admire it, you may even thank me for it, but it isn't yours until you open the present and make it your own, and that's God's Christmas gift for us today. Not wrapped in bright paper and fancy ribbon, but in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It's the gift of his son, and it's the gift for you and me. And it's still there to be personally received until the time comes when he will return. I don't believe you could truly enjoy Christmas until you can look in the Father's face and tell him, Father, I've received your gift. Thank you. Have you done that? For unto us a child is born, a son has been given to us. He shoulders the responsibility, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the greatest gift that could ever be given. For Lord, is not only a baby, as great and wonderful and mighty as this baby is, he's you, he's God, but Lord, what he brings to us. We thank you now for peace, for guidance, for your power in our lives, for everything. And Lord, we praise you and glorify you today. Now, I pray for anyone who hasn't opened their present This present, the present that you gave to the world of salvation through your son, they'll open and receive it today. But we just want to say thank you. Thank you that you would love us enough to give your son 
For a child has been born for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.